0: We're on the ninth verse of the Sadhana Pad. We started this chapter by tuning into the obstacles, another different set of obstacles than from the first Samadhi Pad that Patanjali offered us. And the obstacles he gave us were five and they were ignorance, egoism, desires, aversions and clinging to the body. And when we talked about all of them, we went through at least four of them. And so the ninth sutra now is about clinging to bodily life. And here he says, even the wise cling, however slightly, to this life caught in the flow of satisfaction it has given them. You remember in the autobiography of a yogi, in fact, Surprisingly, both in the cases of Lahiri Mahashaya and Swami Sri Yukteswarji, when they were told that their time had come to leave this plane of earthly existence, both of them, just for a moment, had an inner reaction. Both of them had to instantly withdraw into, you know, the inner meditative state in order to finally even let go of that tiny little bit of attachment. Paramahansa Yogananda defined that attachment as putting on, you know, a heavy coat. And even though it's summer, even though it's hot and the coat is itchy, which is how the masters feel the body, you know, suddenly your consciousness, which was so wide, suddenly has become a little bit constricted in the body. But he says, you get used to it. And haven't we gotten used to certain things, you know, we all have that favorite t-shirt <laughs> that has holes everywhere but we won't let it go <laughs> because it just feels good, you know, it just has that little soft soft, phrase and we love to sleep in it. And so we all have these little things that we cling to that don't really serve any particular purpose, they've completely uh, in fact outlived their purpose and the same is true for our bodies. What is the purpose of each incarnation. Each incarnation brings with it a set of learnings, a set of karmic patterns, a set of potential awakenings. But they're all kind of unique. Each set of circumstances is like, why was I born to this particular mother, in this particular family, in this particular setting where I've come to Ananda, where we now live in a community setting. There are certain learnings right here that I have to go through that I could not have had in any other particular life and therefore not have had in any other particular bodily form. And when that moment comes, when I have either lost every opportunity to learn or done, the best that I have could have. The time comes now to discard this particular, you know, specific instance, so that the next stage of learning may begin for us. And we all live in a world where we've seen death. So naturally, even if it's not close to us, we're seeing it all around us all the time, but we have this hope that our body should not go. We we everybody's body's going. Everybody is leaving things behind. But we've always got this little hope that my body not And so we tend to cling to it. But what happens in the clinging is that we further define ourselves. And in the next incarnation, what happens? We don't actually get to make a giant leap. We get to keep more or less. A very similar expression. Because we've further attached ourselves to this particular way of expressing our ego. This particular way the soul is expressing through. And Master said it's a lot like going to bed at night and waking up in the morning. We don't wake up, oh wow, now I'm a completely different shurjo. No, the consciousness I took to bed is the consciousness. I wake up with and to a certain degree that's a scary thought like wow that's it it's night difference huh maybe i learned something that day maybe tomorrow i've gotten just a little bit wiser perhaps there's no guarantee of that either but more or less i haven't shifted why because i'm so identified if i was able to let go of that identity how swamiji would always tell us you know into that bonfire was his constant you know he always told us every night make that mental bonfire throw it all inside clean your slate as completely as you can throw your attachments to the body to everything you can think of that defines you and see if you can go into the subconscious into the astral world of sleep without any sense of identifications And that's how the saints live. And when Swami would live, every day was brand new for him. But for us, every day is just a little continuation of the last. We're still carrying the same problems, the same, you know, (laughs) desires, aversions, hopes, dreams, the people we like, we still dislike. We just continue it on. Whereas for a saint, if something happened with a person this day, the next day, it doesn't exist anymore in their consciousness. So for them, this person is brand new, still full of potential to now be the best person that they can be. But for us, no. This person is this way, and I have decided this is this way, and every day, I can only relate to that reality. And similarly, I can only relate to this reality. So, clinging to bodily life is a big part of why we're unable to make, in fact, larger shifts. Because we're A little bit too attached to a state of being that perhaps no longer serves us and if we're able to keep letting go of those states then we're able to keep evolving in this life alone master said potentially every breath can be a new incarnation every exhalation is a death every inhalation is a rebirth every day could be a new incarnation but we're unable to do that Primarily because of this necessity to cling to this identity. And you can just see, but what's lovely about Patanjali mentioning here is like, even the wise cling. (laughs) Itna ingrain ho jata hai ki, even the saints have to consciously say, wait a minute, okay, you know, wipe the slate clean, I'm ready to go. So that attachment is not just something we've made. It really, you become so comfortable in it, that shirt becomes just so nice that you say, why should I throw it? So what if it has a few holes here and there and it no longer fits me, it's like short, it's only till here anymore, but why would I throw this away? The 10th Sutra, then he goes on. So these are the five obstacles. All these obstacles, which are these attractions and aversions, can be removed by the perception of their first cause, the ego. Now, there are two ways for us to fight any battle. One is to fight the minions, you know, the the little guys, the soldiers. And the other is to fight the boss level. (laughs) You know how you get to video games and you get the boss and the boss keeps throwing other little guys to distract you and so you have to keep fighting them also and then keep throwing something at the boss but then keep fighting them. And that's really the kind of, you can say, battle we're fighting. Often we think we have to deal with all individual things. The circumstances. Oh no, I have to deal with this issue. Uh, people love their issues. They like to talk a lot about their issues. <laughs> they think itne this If I can figure this out. If I can figure this out. If I can learn to just get along with this person. If I can just learn how to, you know, be more courageous in this reality. And of course, there's truth to it. Because every soldier we kill, we weaken the army the opposing army, but well, that's nice. But behind hai boss level and the boss level somehow seems to be able to keep creating more soldiers. He's getting weakened, there's no doubt. But he's also creating simultaneously. And so the path of yoga, therefore, is more a path of what's the first cause? You know, so we hear Swamiji says, the ego is the first cause of everything, the sense of I. The very fact that we think we're separate is really the first cause of absolutely everything. And therefore, different than most traditions of, you know, all right. achkal, there's a whole thing of, right, let it out. Share all your problems and your issues. And, you know, it's like, oh, let's deal with all your subconscious things. Let's work on all your childhood traumas. And, but if you try that, and of course, there's nothing wrong in any of that. never-ending. There's always something else to deal with. Swamiji would talk about it like, you know, nowadays we don't do this anymore. There was a time when I washed clothes in a bucket. I don't know how many people are washing clothes anymore. I'm sure some are. You know, and Swamiji would all talk about when you push one of the air bubbles down, another bubble would go up. And if you push that down, another would come up. And it's kind of like that. So, you know, we've only got these two hands. So, how many things can we keep working on individually? The more important thing for us to tune into is, what's the first cause? Why am I getting upset? Why is it that this person really annoys me? Why is it that when this doesn't work out for me, you know, I react in this particular way? The ego wants us to believe It's the individual issues. It wants us to believe, no, it's your desires that are the problem. No, no, it's the things that you're rejecting that are the problem. No, it's your ignorance that's the problem. These five obstacles, the ego wants us to, in fact, focus on these five obstacles. Because these obstacles will continue. There is no way that you're going to get to be able to get to the point where every obstacle has taken place, has been taken care of. As long as I exists, another obstacle will instantly be created. It's like the hydra. Ek kaata, do banenge uske. And therefore, we're not really so particular about all the... That's why we don't have to worry about every vritti and we're not worrying about every desire. Because if we go that route, it'll be maddening. It'll be, in fact, more than maddening, it'll be very discouraging. If I really sit back and see all the things I have to work on, the list, you know, every day it grows. Every day more comes to my awareness. Oh, this also I have to work on, that also I have to work on. And it really becomes just, what's the point? <laughs> let me just do, let me just go live my life. What am I doing here? But of course, those of us who've stepped onto the path, were kind of in this really uncomfortable position. We can go back to because we realize something is You know, we're not getting that satisfaction from it. Na yaha we are fully able to convert everything that we are learning into actual experience. So we're in this really kind of uncomfortable place, place,yaha,ha, but also because we're working on it more reactively. Our spiritual path is also reactive. And we just think and we keep our minds a little scattered in the process. And the ego, in the process, says, He and you know, the dog chasing its tail, and but And we have to realize that, wait a minute, I don't need to only, it's very important, yes, let me weaken the army a little bit. This was why in the Mahabharata, what was, you know, uh, Duryodhan's main call when the battle was about to begin, Everybody must protect Bhishma. Bhishma jab tak hai, tab tak we are good. And Bhishma represented that I, that ego, that separation and therefore he could not be killed. No matter how many arrows he was riddled with, he's still there talking and giving a bhashan in the middle of... You know, like Everybody's waiting, alright, when's this going to end and he's just talking about... Because that was his boon. The ego will only be able to naturally offer itself up eventually into the infinite. So we need to be tuning into that separation. And in every opportunity that comes to us, we need to tune into it. Swamiji over here writes quite beautifully, in fact. He says, every time somebody praises you, always remember to say, God is the doer. You don't have to say it to them. Because sometimes we thought, also, well, God is the doer. <laughs> because He's flowing through me. inwardly. God is the doer. You know, if somebody take, blames you for something, just accept that blame. It's hard. It's like, I don't want to accept that blame. Especially if I think it's wrong. Just accept that blame. Why? Because that's what's shaving this little, little thing that you think needs our protection needs to be justified needs to be shown kya sahiya kya galat hai yes you may be able to project and tell people that you were the right and they were in wrong but what's the what's the benefit of what's the eventual benefit of having proved that you just get to be more identified with the rightness that you did and so we have to start shifting our kind of our whole you know, it's just like we get into these moments where we think right living and if i can just get everything figured out outwardly in the right way you know have my sadhanas and i'm eating well and i'm doing this and i'm you know being able to project to the world exactly the person that i wanted to be and this and that but even in that we're still you know we're still that limited consciousness we're not breaking out of it we're just living in fact a very wonderful balanced life which is a great start but for the yogi is not enough and swamiji says take that blame and inwardly give thanks Hmm. (laughs) not only ki but even say wow thank you and then he says constantly ask yourself what can i give and never what can i get that's it you know these are the this is what we're working on this is what will destroy these obstacles that we're hoping for and he says finally a time may come when your ego is thin enough that in a deep meditation you can just cast it out and he gives an example when he was a young monk and he had this one this pride of his intellect and he says one day in his meditation he actually could grab onto that pride and he could feel it right there and he just shouted get out and he says and he threw that but he says you can only do it when it's very when you're very close to it when you can feel it when you've shaved off all other you know separating layers And so we should aim for that wow i want to get to that point where in my meditation i can actually hold on to this is there it is that's that ego right there that's that one thing that i feel is at the heart of most of how i present myself or most of how i perceive this world and then i can just cast it out in my meditations and then the next sutra in fact of patanjali is this in the active state these obstacles can be destroyed by meditation why can they be destroyed by meditation what is the very purpose of meditation if meditation is done rightly is that all the life force really you know we talk about the energy moving up the spine and going up to the brain but eventually it's really the life force shifting from the negative pole of the agya chakra to the positive pole so we're not we're working with a very very short distance of shifting our awareness but that's really what meditation does if done rightly and if practiced constantly is to withdraw the life force away from here and shift it here we're at the uh, cafe now we've got this little meditation room and in there we've got you know the spiritual eye which is a little hidden here but over there because the room is dark and, you know, that light just shines forth. Everybody asks, you know, oh, what, is this? What's the, what does this symbol mean? And then you have to explain, oh, this is the spiritual eye and you know, this is what you see. And this master said is the cross-section of the sushumna as seen while seated in the ego piercing through and looking out through the spiritual eye, through the agya chakra, through the kutastha. And that's the cross-section of the Shushumna, because the Shushumna has three inner nadis, brahmanadi and the chitra and one more, three. You, you, you can read about it. And those are the three layers of the astral world, the cosmic world, co- uh, the causal world, and then eventually cosmic consciousness itself. And you want to be able to see that eye, you know, these are, tangible realities we should be aspiring towards people are very excited by a little color and a little you know light but that's like you know when you don't have your glasses on and it's all <laughs> hazy and thoda gaya, thoda wo gaya. the moment you put your glasses on it needs to crystallize into that tunnel of the spiritual eye and that's when you know that you're moving you're really shifting the energy away from the medulla from that sense of separation. So every day in our meditation, again, that should be our intention. When we sit to meditate, that should be the clearest goal that you can create. How much of my awareness can I shift away? Now past karmas have their origin in the aforementioned obstacles, which are ego involvements and cause the events experienced in the present birth and in future births. So very self-explanatory of something that we are all well aware of. This is what past karma is. These five obstacles, ignorance, egoism, desires, aversions and clinging to the body are really where kind of all our karmas revolve around this. And these are the ego involvements we have. And therefore they are the ones that are causing all the events of our present life and they will continue to cause all the events of every subsequent life. At the end of the day, everything we're doing is purely a product of decisions that we have made in the past. Every experience you're having now, every experience you will have in the future is again, as we said, is just what you did in this day, that same consciousness continues the next day, continues the next day and progress really is very very tiny especially because most of us don't think about each of these karmic realities we just continue on mostly subconsciously and every now and then you you know as we said before and that's how this chapter started how did this chapter start willingly accepting pain it starts with is one of the main kind of ways that the yogic path needs to be experienced. And in this, I mean, it's interesting because this week we are practicing what? Openness. And we talked about openness to being disciplined, to be corrected that nobody likes. And we're also going into the Easter period, which is what was Christ's greatest, you can say almost, teaching was that willingly he walked up and got onto that cross. Nobody put him there. He had all the power in the world to have destroyed all these armies, to have completely said, nope, I'm not going up there. And nobody could have made him. Nobody could have lifted him up and put him up there. Willingly, when the soldiers came to arrest him, they didn't know. So, you know, there was no Facebook, so you they couldn't see his DP or anything and figure out, you yeah, know, they came to the, you know, the group of 12, 13 people who were there and the soldiers came and said, Who is Jesus of Nazareth? And Christ steps out over there and He says, It is I who you are looking for. And that's it. You know, there's no, oh, yeah, mere ko dhunne aare, yaar. You know, you guys just divert them. Main e nikal jata he knows exactly what's going to happen. Our life is like, oh no, I'm <laughs> like police na Rogdiya, already our mind is saying, What should I do? What should I do? What excuse can I make? But it's not willing to own any of the things that we've done. Everything that feels wrong, we say hamari kalti niye. Kisi or neki yaoga. And so we're never willing to own everything that we have done. We're not willing to own our own past. And because we're not willing to own our own past, we have to keep going through it until we say, Ah, oh yeah, I only did this. Chalo. And that's why blame is coming to me and that's why things are hard and that's why praise is also coming to me. But praise is not coming to me, Shurjo. Praise might be coming because Shurjo in the form of, you know, Paul or whatever did something at some point and that same energy is continuing now. And so should the praise be sent back to Paul? Or should Shurjo now in his this particular form take all the praise to himself and hold on to it as tightly as he can? And that's just the existence we're trying to experience is just let it pass through you. Because none of it's you anyway. There've been so many different expressions of you. Let it pass through, let it not bind to this present experience. Now the existence of a cause, this is the 13th Sutra, necessitates the existence also of a result, which may bear fruit in different bodies, different species, and will decide their experiences and their longevity. So essentially saying the kind of life we're gonna live, how long that life is gonna be, and the kind of body we will have, even to a certain degree the kind of species Now, Master said, usually evolution is in one direction, where eventually when we get to the human birth, we don't devolve back to an animal level, except, he says, in certain cases, when we live a very highly animalistic life, we can, for a birth or two, have to return back to that kind of an incarnation before we can continue once again Swamiji says, sometimes he would see, look into the eyes of certain pets <laughs> and he says, and you could see almost <laughs> that some of them have in fact had human births before because they see their personalities, you see how their nakrabhazi their pets made their likes and dislikes, you just see how much more of an ego they have developed as opposed to, you know, animals in the wild where they're a little bit more generic. But because of close human association, pets often, in fact, most pets are very much on their way to a human birth, because now through that human association, they too have taken on a lot of, in fact, traits of their owners. Swamiji would sometimes marvel and say, pets even start looking like their owners (laughs) after a certain time. And you can just kind of see, oh yeah, that's what's going on over here. But, you know, that's the thing, the existence of a cause necessitates the existence also of a result. So that has to keep going and as long as we're the cause of something, and we as in this little I, as long as it feels that I have done something, therefore, I will also have to experience that same thing in return. The moment you feel I have done nothing, God's the doer, then there is nothing that has to return back to you. Everything returns back directly to him. This is the simplest way for us to defeat karma. is not kind of associate any action, any thought, anything that you're doing back to yourself. Now, this is a very, very, very hard thing to do. And you can't just do it mentally. And that's why we need a technique like meditation to kind of Polish off first of the grosser layers until the subtler aspects, the more refined aspects of our own ego are present, then we can start saying, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, it's true. It couldn't have been me because now I'm a little bit more aware that there is no me. I'm just a sum totality of experiences that the soul has taken over so many lifetimes. I mean, imagine how much it has taken to shape us into ourselves How can we take all the credit? How can we say, I did this? No, there's just been a force behind me for incarnations that has done this through me, with me. And when you start tuning into that force, then you are able to at least temporarily not get too caught up in Mm. this particular expression of that force. And then that all decides, you know, what kind of a life we are going to live. And the more freely we can live without associating with our experiences, the less we're going to have to keep receiving that again and again. People always say, you know, how can I, you know, can karma really be changed? Can I really overcome all these things that I have? Like, Well, here it is. The problem isn't that, that the karma exists. The problem is that the I to which the karma is tied exists. Take that I away. And then there's no karma to return back to. It doesn't know where to go. Say you move from the address. Now all the packages are going to go to that address. You're not there anymore. You know, you sent out these stinking letters and then you moved out of the address and now these stinking letters are coming back. But you're in a different place. And so you don't need to read them anymore. But we have to learn how to be in that different place. As long as we're living at that same address, every package is going to come back. It's always going to be return to sendi and then you have to experience it. And the fruits of one's past actions bring pleasure or pain according to their quality. And here he's talking about the quality in the terms of the gunas, whether it's sattvic, rajasic or tamasic. And so these three gunas, you know, we went at it, went through this so much. I was very surprised because when I first read the Gita, I didn't tune into it so much like how much Krishna talks about the gunas. I remember everything he would bring back to the gunas. Everything back to the gunas. Everything back to these three different qualities. And what are the gunas? They are degrees of separation from spirit. Sattva is the least separate when we are, so when we act in a certain way, when we think in a certain way, when our consciousness is expressing in a certain way, we're the closest we can be to our truest selves. Rajasik is when that same refined energy becomes more restless, becomes more outward, and in that restlessness and outwardness, we kind of separate ourselves a little bit more. And tamasik is when that energy becomes so dense, so heavy, that there is not even a hint of the true spirit that first kind of enlivened that very thought. And so depending on every quality of every action that we do, it creates whether an experience of pleasure or pain. So many people talk about good karma, bad karma, and they get really caught up of. You know, is this my good karma? Oh, this must be really good, you know. Oh, you guys have such good karma that this happened. Oh, I have such bad karma because I came and I did this so late. And and there's just no reality to good and bad karma at all. Because often what seems like the worst karma leads you to often the best places. Again, coming back to that first verse. Pain and suffering (laughs) lead you to ask the deepest questions. It was because I suffered so intensely in my heart and in my mind, not outwardly, nobody could tell, but because I was suffering within, I asked and I said, this couldn't be it, what's more in life? And then comes the answers that I needed through the autobiography, through the spiritual path. But so many people have, through that same process, awakened to something greater. So Don't kind of box yourself in and start thinking about the quality of karma in terms of good and bad. But do see it in terms of whether you're putting out, what you're putting out, whether it's tamasic, rajasic or sattvic. And that which is sattva will then start helping you refine your consciousness more easily. Because the truth is, and I said this in the last class, we don't have to suffer we can actually get to these truths without suffering. It just so happens that we've created too much that the suffering is a necessity now for us in order to arrive at the same truth. It's like, okay, I'm in, you know, whatever class I'm in, I don't have to have a hard time studying for my exam, but most of us do because we didn't study it all the whole year. So, when the exams come, what do we feel? This is unfair. Q exams are But the good student says, I don't have any problem. I heard everything that the teacher said. I gave, submitted every homework that was given to me. I know exactly what's going to happen and I'm ready for it. So, they don't have to suffer. In fact, they really enjoy the process. They enjoy the learning. They've, they're so happy that they got to receive so much. We, on the other hand, or at least I, completely ignorant throughout the year. And now that the exam has come, now we feel this is unfair pressure. <laughs> you know, yeah, this is not right. <laughs> they shouldn't do this to kids, <laughs> which to a certain degree is perhaps true. And we just think that this is being created to make our lives miserable. I mean, how many kids <laughs> felt like that exa- the only purpose of exams is to make life miserable. And to a certain degree, it's true, we do become miserable at the time, but the only reason is because we didn't learn. And when the quality of our karma is, or our actions are sattvic, then we don't have to go through that process. And then we can receive intuition, we can receive this higher awareness without having to go through it. When the quality of our karma is tamasic, low energy, always a little unhappy, always a little upset, more anger, but not anger, <clears throat> righteous anger, anger directed because life is not working out how I want it to work out. Those are tamasic qualities. And then that requires us to experience that kind of suffering. In fact, we're already suffering when we're angry. And then until that whole process doesn't cleanse itself, we're not able to then arrive at these same truths that Patanjali is so freely giving us, but, Nonetheless, it doesn't mean we can experience these truths as easily. Indeed, to anyone of discrimination, I love this particular sutra, everything is painful. (laughs) For every desire once satisfied is followed by fear of loss, and it produces ever new cravings in the mind, and those desires result in conflict between the three gunas. I like that. Into any one of discrimination, everything is painful. <laughs> I so relate to that. Everything at the end leaves a little bit of a dissatisfied taste in our mouth. Even the greatest desire, even the best. You know I mean, creating this cafe has been such a fun experience for us because everything you do never quite is done the way you want it to be done. Everything, there's a, there's a little <laughs> stitch not done here, a little paint streak that's not quite perfectly done. You know, one little mo- thing that we had to put so much energy into comes finally from the factory and it's r- the wrong size. And now you have to redefine re-de- you know, <laughs> re- everything else because there's no way you can return this huge little thing. And that's just it. Every little thing at the end of the day produces Every desire, by its very nature, produces pain and suffering. Even when fulfilled. And that's just the nature of duality. Within fulfillment is either the fear of loss, once you have it, or that bitter taste, because that fulfillment did not actually bring you what you were looking. And so, for the yogi, it's interesting because while everything is painful it's not it's not suffering this is the kind of pain that clarifies it clarifies more and more this is not my home this isn't it it's never going to work on this plane and it's in fact a very freeing pain it's not like oh no nothing's working out and i've tried everything and it's this is the pain that says wow the hypnotism is broken. I'm I'm not fooled anymore. And then you just all you want is to be in bliss, and then you start redefining all your actions, everything that you do. But until there's even even a little bit of hope, which most of us have, Kishayad is time hojaiga. Shayat is relationship say ho this cafe se ho agar ek ashram to ho if only all my like-minded friends can come together and we can live together, ho jayega. But everything brings with it its own set of pain and suffering. And that's the only real learning we need. Because then that pain becomes sweet. Oh, life is sweet and death and dream. That pain becomes so sweet because then it's just a constant reminder. He says, ah, where are you, God? Because you're not here. Or I'm not yet feeling you enough. And that's where we want it to be, even though it feels like the opposite should be true. No, I should be feeling joy in everything. I should just feel always, you know, in this bubbly, blissful state. And that'll come too. But first, you have to realize first we get to the stage to a person of discrimination everything is painful when you get to that stage then you can transform that pain when you get to a one underlying when pain becomes the only reality but again not in this not in a uncomfortable stage this pain is the pain of the longing when that becomes your only reality then the next stage is very simple because now you don't have multiple realities that you have to fight with Then the next stage really is joy this next sutra one line future karmic pain can be avoided (laughs) all right that's that's good to know future karmic pain can be avoided. And then he goes on to say, so so we give it a little bit more context. The cause of that avoidable pain is the union of the, that which sees and that which is seen. What does that mean? It is the union of that which sees with that which is seen. It means all pain and suffering is caused by the union of The senses, that which sees, taking the sense of sight in this particular case, with sense perception, that which is seen. Everything, all pain is caused by the ego through the senses relating to the world only as sensory perception. This is real. That which I see is real. That which I hear is true. That which I feel is all there is. Ego and the world, when they unite, pain (laughs) is caused. Now that's a hard thing because that's all we know. (laughs) We are in the ego. (laughs) This is the world around me. And this is the only union we know. What other union could we create? He says here, the avoidable pain. I like the way he says, The cause of that avoidable pain is the union of that which sees and that which is seen. Right now, all we are able to see is existence in this particular form. What can't we see? What is it that we're not seeing? We're not seeing God. We're not seeing pure vibration. We're not seeing consciousness. We're seeing people, things, circumstances, everything that is, is fixed for us. We can't see that movement. I can't see the incarnations I've lived. I can't see the flow of my own consciousness. I can only see this person when I look into the mirror. And this person was born in Dehradun. (laughs) You know, this person doesn't like (laughs) Bhindi. And this person XYZ and whatever it is and that's all I can see and everything I do is defined by that and I can't see God in Shurjo I've tried and I have failed and every time I sit to meditate and hope that today I'm going to see it I'm still so caught in my senses even when I sit to meditate I can see and hear more what's outside of me than I can see and hear what's inside of me. And so the enamor of this union between sense and sense perception is really the cause of all avoidable pain. And that's why we need to start fixing and refining that sight. That's what we're trying to do. Everything about the yogic path is That refinement of our ability to perceive truth, God, light, consciousness, whatever you want to call it. The underlying reality. Because otherwise we see variety, we see division, we see separation. We see me and we see you. And me is not you and you is not me. And as long as that's going to be true, there's going to be pain. the moment i see oh i am you and you are me then there is no pain at all then there's joy because isn't it great (laughs) that you and i are exactly the same you and i are made of that same bliss of satchitananda but we have to first develop that sight and otherwise he says future karmic pain can be avoided That means we're really not bound by karma the way we think we are. Master said though, all karma eventually has to be worked out. But it doesn't have to be worked out by experiencing it. All karma has to be worked out by feeding that energy that went out. Because it's just a vibration that went out and it's a vibration that needs to return back. And as our magnetism shifts, that vibration, as I said, can no longer recognize the magnetism that sent it out. And so, in the flow, in the power of our magnetism, it returns back to us as a very, very minor kind of shift. Master would often give the example of if a huge, you know, boulder needs to fall on you as per your karmic reality perhaps a tiny little pebble will fall instead. Because your awareness has become so much greater that in relationship, what was supposed to be this big of a karma now becomes this big compared to where your consciousness is. And that's what it relates to all the time. So if we shift our consciousness, we shift our entire karmic makeup. However, it needs to return, but not the pain the experience but not the pain it would have been very painful if a boulder falls on me but it's not so painful when a pebble falls on me the experience remained in relation to when our consciousness was this small this was the boulder when my consciousness is this big this is the boulder the boulder size actually hasn't shifted your consciousness's size has shifted and now in relation it's not that big so the experience remains, but no longer the pain. we? Alright, let's do the last one. What is seen and experienced in this world consists of the three gunas. The light of refined awareness, which is sattva, the impulse toward outward activity, which is rajas, and inertia and inertia which is tamas and is present throughout the objective universe providing both sense experience and guidance toward liberation so like krishna patanjali comes to the gunas as well and he says there are three flows of awareness in this universe everything is made up of these three gunas And these three gunas as i said are those degrees of separation one is very refined is very light very uplifting and that's sattva you're very close so joy love kindness harmony and instant ability to relate and connect to everybody Uh, you know where your the speech is just so always perfect sweet understanding loving, where there's no hint even of any, any bit of restlessness, any bit of, I don't know, those little barbs that sometimes we have in our speech. It's just always sweet and kind. And I really want to focus on speech a little bit because it's, it's such an easy thing for us to tune into by the very quality of your voice, by the way and the intention with which words leave your mouth, you can instantly know the vibration of which guna is at play. And the heavier the voice is, the the higher the pitch becomes, (laughs) Swami would say, the more nasal your (laughs) voice becomes, instantly you can start feeling the difference or how the gunas are at play there and it's a wonderful it's a wonderful tangible experience to have watch how the words are leaving your mouth and see how even as they are leaving you can shift them and even while you were starting with a little bit of a more forceful more anger more restless energy If you become aware, how you can immediately turn them back into something that's calm, that's refined, that's respectful. And suddenly your consciousness moves back to sattva. And it's amazing how quickly we could do that if we're willing to do that. Because mostly we're not. We don't want to. (laughs) We like what's going out of our mouths. We like when we are forceful. We like when we are right. And so everything of these three gunas are at play at all times and what Patanjali is saying is it's these three gunas that will either draw us further outward or it will guide us toward liberation. And we have to choose which of these three we are going to cooperate with. And in the further subsequent sutras he goes a little bit more into the gunas themselves but you remember how... In the Gita, uh, the examples that Krishna gives to help understand the gunas more. He says, sattva is like the smoke that obscures fire. All you need to do is a little wind and the light of spirit shines forth. He says, Rajoguna is like rust on the mirror. You have to kind of rub it off with a little bit of strength. You have to apply some solution onto it. And it takes work. It takes a little effort. He says, tamaguna is like a baby in the womb of the mother, completely obscured. And there is no way to get the baby out, except you have to wait the nine months. And so with Tamaguna, usually it's a question of, you just have to let the person, to work with somebody who is perhaps more in tamo, you have to be very patient. You have to just let that person. There's no way that you're going to pull out of them the child. <laughs> you know, you can't get that premature birth have to let them be you have to let them experience themselves because what's going to teach them pain and suffering <laughs> pain and suffering is going to teach them you don't have to do it for them <laughs> they will learn but the moment they are ready to put out energy moment they say all right let's make something happen then when energy is there then you can work with that and this is true for our own selves forget other people When you're in a mood, sometimes all you have to do is just give yourself the time. Let it pass through you. The moment it's passing through and you're willing to move a little bit more energy and you're willing to do something about it, seize that energy and that's the rajas. And then you take that energy and you, you know, put it into activity, into physical movement. Go take a walk, do the energization exercises, do something that gets that energy moving a little bit more and the higher that energy is, the more refined the activity you perform, then you can sit and meditate, or you can sit and introspect, or then you can start withdrawing and shifting your awareness and saying, all right, that mood, I didn't need to be there. But when you're there, you know, don't try to fight that. Just relax in it for a moment. Let it pass through. Sometimes we elongate our own tamasic moments by kind of negating them. Sometimes you just have to sit in them. Just let that process pass through. And then the moment there's a little bit of opening, move energy. Go out somewhere, just step out. Be willing to let your life force begin to move. And that's why often when we say people who are experiencing depression especially, you know, that's the best thing for them is to be physically active. And that's it. you don't want them to be meditating. You don't want them to be introspecting because that's in fact can be detrimental when you're introspecting when your life force is so low because then the introspections will only remind you of who to blame and why everybody is against you and why this is not gonna work out for you. But the moment energy starts moving, you get a little physically active, then after rajas, you can move into sattva. So each of us, and this is why the gunas are so helpful because they are stages. And so we always have to remember, whichever stage I am in, what's my next step? And that's the way either we go closer towards the light or we go the other way. And sometimes when we try to take too big a leap from one stage to the other, then we don't make it. And then we kind of get a little bit more, no, then I'm just gonna stay exactly the way I am. A lot of people who come and say, oh, I wanna try, to meditate or I want to try the spiritual path and often it doesn't work for them because it's too big a leap and that's why you have to be very mindful of the people in your own vicinity when you try to convince them that oh you must to do this and you must go and hear this satsang and that won't work for them but you can think about where are they what would be their next step and you move and work with people accordingly. The gunas really is such a beautiful way to experience life. How to work with myself, how to work with other people, and always remember, it's directional. So with that, let's just take a moment. We've gone a little beyond our time, but nothing should stop us from settling back into ourselves into the spine just for a little while. See what Patanjali perhaps has more specifically, more individually to offer you from today's readings. I'm feeling right now the need just to be more mindful of the quality of my actions, the quality of my intentions, the quality of my expression, because as he says, the future karmic pain can be avoided if we are aware of that quality we put out. Let's take also this opportunity to just open ourselves to the guidance, to discipline, to correction, as it may be right for us. Remember yesterday's or Tuesday's affirmation. What is true always remains true, even if hurled in anger. I open myself to truth no matter what garb it wears, Om.